0: This is The Podcast Method, a show where I do my best to answer your questions about podcasting, recording, video and audio equipment, software, mic technique, pre- and post-production, workflows, and more. It's episode number 21. My name is Dan Benjamin, and thank you very much to all of you who have been sending in your emails and asking me questions on Twitter. I couldn't do the show without you because I wouldn't have anything to talk about if it wasn't for you guys, the listeners, the people who are submitting questions, asking me things and making me think, and trying to remember the mistakes that I've made to tell you about them. Uh, So, I appreciate it. Thanks to all of you. And thanks to all of you for listening. And I wanted to try a little experiment that you can attempt to help me with. I am still trying to figure out the secrets of iTunes. They're really, they're not published anywhere. Sure, there's directions on how to submit a show to iTunes and things like that, like how to look at your stats and all that stuff. I mean, that's that's a solved problem, and they tell you about that. But what they don't tell you is exactly how their algorithms work that get a show into new and noteworthy, that get shows top listed. My theory on this for a long time has been that the more people who subscribe and, uh, and rate a show in a certain time window, in a certain period of time, that if enough people subscribe within a short period of time or enough people rate within a short period of time, that somehow it bumps it up into the new and noteworthy section. And the reason I'm thinking about this so much is this is like one of the number one questions that I get asked. People all the time are saying, how, how do I get my show promoted in iTunes? What do I do? What am I supposed to do? Because people will have a show and it won't wind up there. And it might still get good listeners. It might still get a, a decent sized audience, but it won't wind up in that little section. But I happen to know that it is an algorithmic kind of a thing that puts it there and that keeps it there. What's hot and new and noteworthy. So I, I've also noticed that shows, even shows that have been successful and that have big audiences, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 downloads, that these shows sometimes once they hit new and noteworthy, they're there for a little while and then they fall out and you never see them again. Even though they have great audiences, Well, they're noteworthy, they might not be new, they might not be a top podcast. And my theory on this is that people will go to iTunes, they'll find the show, they'll subscribe, and they'll, they'll go away because their iTunes is now downloading that. Well, one thing that people don't know, and I have talked about this before, is that iTunes has nothing to do with serving up those files, those audio files. It has nothing to do with that. Once you hit that subscribe button, uh, you're out of there. Now, what iTunes does track is things like plays and, uh, and people who are subscribing. So I wanted to try a little experiment. If you haven't subscribed to the show in iTunes, i would be very curious what would happen if we all went and subscribed to this show, even if you don't use iTunes, <laughs> just launch iTunes and go there and subscribe to it. I don't even care if you unsubscribe immediately. I don't know if that counts. I think this would be a very interesting experiment. Is this enough to push the show or your show? up into New and Noteworthy again? I really don't know. I'm not worried about it being in New and Noteworthy. My goal isn't to get it back in New and Noteworthy. My goal is to see if it's possible to get a show into New and Noteworthy if all of its loyal listeners... Go there and subscribe to it and rate it. I mean, obviously, rating the show in iTunes is is a big deal, but how much of a big deal? Podcasters are always saying, go rate the show in iTunes. It's a big thing. I used to say that at the top of every single show I did in 2009, 2010, 2011, and 2012. Go back to that time period of 5 by 5 and you will hear me say that at the top of every single show. And it seemed to make a difference. I stopped saying it, but now I'm going to say it again. Go rate the show on iTunes. Let's see if it really makes a difference or not. Now on to some uh, questions. But before we do, I want to thank my first sponsor. Man, I love this company. They're called Bench. And I think I've told you about them on a few of my other shows, but in case you don't listen to those, listen to this. Bench.co. I was a customer of Bench before I uh, I contacted them, reached out to them, and said, you have got to sponsor our stuff, because I love what you guys do. It's amazing, and it would be perfect for this audience. Bench.co. Actually, they made a special URL. Bench.co slash podcast method. That'll support the show. It'll get you 20% off your first six months, but what is Bench anyway? Bench is an online bookkeeping service that pairs you with a team of dedicated bookkeepers who use simple, elegant, web-based software to do your bookkeeping for you. Take it from me, Unless you're like a bookkeeper by trade or a CPA or something, you're probably like me. You probably don't enjoy balancing your checkbook and reconciling every single credit card purchase that you make for your business, for your freelance business, for your podcast. Like that kind of stuff is boring. And it's not really that much of a secret that it's boring and that we all hate it. Well, so why do it? Do the thing you're good at. Let bench handle your bookkeeping so that you don't have to focus on the things that matter most. That's why I'm doing this. I'm doing this show because I love this show because I love you, great listener. And I want to help you. And I like talking about this stuff. What I don't like is going and figuring out that, you know, we bought those uh, K-cup pods for uh, the office coffee maker. and How do I reconcile? I don't want to do that. Come on. I'd rather be here talking to you. Well, that's what Bench does. They tie into every single one of your accounts. You link it up. Yo, you take donations with PayPal. Cool. That works. Boom. A little hookup with PayPal that goes right into your account. Then they can reconcile that for you. You got a credit card you use for your business, boom, hooks up right in the thing. Bank account, boom, all done. And it's for bigger businesses too, not just the freelancer. Small, medium-sized businesses are going to love this and it's so affordable, so affordable. That's why I enjoy doing this uh, this spot so much because like, I love the service and it saved me so much time and it saved me a ton of money over using like an in-town uh, bookkeeper here. So go get your first 20% off your first six months by visiting bench.co slash podcast method. A sponsor can pay me to do their read. They cannot pay me to tell you that I love their service and that I use their service. I do both of those things and would do it even if they weren't a sponsor. Go check them out, bench.co slash podcast method. It's great questions. There's some great questions. How do you you ask me questions? It's simple. Go to 5 5tv slash contact. And pick podcast method and type me up your email. That's the easiest way to do it. If you don't want to do that and you want to just hit me up on Twitter, that's fine too. But make sure that you use the hashtag podcast method, one word. If you don't, I won't see it when I do the searches for this show. I might see it in my feed, but I won't remember it when it comes time to record. So, on to the questions. A few of them came in through Twitter, but this one is is an email question. Graham. And Graham asks... So I've been listening to the podcast and really enjoying it. Thank you. I'm planning to start a podcast. I have a MacBook Air. Never done pod, a podcast before. I'm thinking of an initial equipment investment of $500. I need a mic for sure. But what about preamp, etc.? Also, I hope to do a lot more recording. So I've been considering the Zoom HN4. He means h 4 And most of the show I'm planning would be a single guest interviews, not recorded live to tape, but more edited. Been listening for a while, and I'm starting to get confused about all your various recommendations. Graham, I'm sorry if I have confused you about it. I know I make lots of different recommendations all the time. Uh every case is a little bit different. There is no one microphone that's going to be uh perfect for everyone. There is no mic I always laugh whenever I read microphone reviews. I always laugh whenever I read microphone reviews. Because there is there is no you, you can you can scientifically you can look at a microphone's a dynamic range that's a fact so you can say this one has more of a dynamic range or this one picks up low end better than high end but that's not the same thing as hearing your own voice as recorded through a specific microphone and take it to the next level your specific voice through a specific microphone through a specific preamp because preamps they sure do add a lot of color to your voice they really change the quality of your voice and not only is it true that one microphone might sound great for one person and terrible on somebody else, but the same is true of a preamp. I was talking to John Roderick on a show that we do called Roadwork uh, a while back. He was talking to me about like his perfect setup, the, the, the amp, the, you know, the, the preamp that he likes to use with a specific mic that he has found is perfect just for him. I might talk through that and it sound horrible. You say, why, why would I sound horrible? It's a $1,000 mic and a $2,000 print because I might sound horrible through it because everyone's voice is different. But that's not really the gist of what Graham's asking. He's like, I've got 500 bucks, which by the way is a lot of money to get started in, in, uh, with podcasting. That's much more than most. most people balk when I tell them that they're going to have to spend $75 on a microphone. But what makes Graham's requirements a little bit different are that he's not necessarily thinking about doing it just in his uh, in his house or in his uh, his home. He's thinking about going on the road and going in and interviewing a guest, maybe in person. Remote recordings. He uh, he means on site recordings. So going with something like a, a Zoom, and I recommend this thing uh, a lot, would be probably a, a great way to start. The Zoom H4N is actually the, that is the old one now. It's very, very affordable. What is it? It is a multi-track recorder. A multi-track recorder. It's a little device. It has two built-in microphones, which I don't recommend you use. I recommend you plug in a regular microphone to, to this. You can have two plugged in at once and record multiple tracks with these microphones. It's perfect for doing stuff on the road. It's perfect for doing stuff on the go. And what's neat is you can plug it with USB into, uh, into any computer and it will act as a preamp so that you can record live right into the computer or you can just plug it in and pull the files across. It's a really, really great device. Now, there are much newer than the H4n, much, much newer devices than the H4n. For example, I think there's a 5n, a 6n. I'll put them all into the show notes. I would say get the newest and the best one that you can afford. I use an H4N still. It's you can get those for like 150, 160 bucks, new. But I would go with the the newer, better version if you can if you can get it, because they just continue to improve them. They continue to enhance them and the, the way that they work. This is actually not a bad device if you find that you're going to be doing a lot of uh on the go or on site recordings because this thing can double as a really good audio preamp. In uh, in your own house as well, you know, wherever it is that you're based. So, what kind of microphone can you use with this? Well, it's got a pretty good preamp in it. But I always come back to my go-to microphone. The microphone that I really, really like, not just plugged into one of these things, but just any time that you're going to be doing what we could call field interviews, on-site interviews, and that is the Shure SM58. It's a dynamic mic, which means it's not going to pick up a lot of background noise ever. And it is like the standard mic. When you think of like get someone getting up on stage and giving a talk and holding a mic, this is the mic. It's a hundred bucks. There are tons of better mics out there, of course. Of course, if you want to spend more money, you can get a much, much nicer, better microphone. But this is an excellent, excellent microphone in studio, out of studio. It won't pick up very much background noise. And these things are built like a rock. You cannot hurt these things. And there's not that much cheaper. Now, you can spend more and get some of Shure's other microphones. But you know what? You'll never regret this purchase. You will never regret the $99 that you spend on this microphone. Because I guarantee you, at some point down the road, You'll say, oh, we need to go out into the field and record something. I wish I had a mic that could do that. Oh, you do. You spent $100 on it. Now you have it. It's great. You can plug it into anything. It'll work great. You know what? You get a surprise guest in the studio. Oh, you know, let me come over to your house after we can go record that thing. We were just, okay, okay, come on over. You know what? Here, you talking to this microphone. People with no mic technique sound fine through this microphone. People who've never spoken into a microphone before will sound fine through this microphone. You put one of them in front of this Telefunken M82 that I'm in front of, they're not going to sound very good at all because they won't know how to address it. You put them in front of a Heil PR40, forget it. Plosives all day. Put them in front of the Shure SM58, they're going to sound perfect. So my recommendation to Graham and to you if you're planning on just starting out and you want a microphone that you'll never regret buying and that you can later get a better, bigger, more awesome microphone perfectly tuned to your voice, sure, spend 100 bucks now and get that. And plug it into a preamp. Which preamp? Well, the Zoom. That one would work. Now you've got a field setup that can double as your home setup. Or you could get my favorite, the DBX-286S, which I talk about like all the time. This is a huge, uh, huge thing that, that's like designed to be mounted in a rack. It's 190 bucks, But it's an amazing, amazing preamp. And this preamp, it has tons and tons and tons of gain. So you can, you can power pretty much any microphone, even the most stubborn dynamic mics with this thing. It has a built-in noise gate. It has a built-in limiter. It has a built-in compression, and it's amazing. I keep recommending this thing to people because for the money, you will not get anything better. For the money, you will not do better than a DBX-286S. In the show notes, 5x5.tv slash podcast method slash 21 for all these amazing links. Speaking of the Heil PR40, Todd Peppercorn on Twitter asks, When using my PR40, I have to crank my M-Audio M-Track Plus to 5 o'clock, and it's still not enough. Normal? Todd, unfortunately, it is completely normal. Dynamic mics require a ton of gain. Many, most, audio interfaces like the M-Audio M-Track Plus, which is a great device. At at its maximum gain, it's barely enough to power a gain-hungry mic. But it's not just the PR4. This Telefunken M82 that I'm talking into, same deal. The RE20, one of the most widely used mics in broadcasting and radio studios around the world, requires tons and tons and tons of gain. And I remember wondering the same thing when I was first starting out. I kept, uh, you know, trying these these preamps that I had bought for fifty, hundred bucks, and they just could not deliver the kind of gain that I was requiring for this PR forty mic. That you know, that everyone seemed to be starting to use at that time. What was I doing wrong? Was the was the XLR cable bad? Could it really need more gain? Yes, and that's the way dynamic mics work. Dynamic mics require so much gain and you turn, you turn up the gain and you might hit that. And I like to have a little bit of what we call headroom. That is, you don't want to have the gain maxed out. You want to be able to go a little higher if you can. So my cheat back in the day when I had a relatively uh, affordable, inexpensive Mackie mixer was to actually go and it had, a, it had an EQ built into it so you could like bump the bass up, turn down the treble, whatever you wanted to do. I would turn all of those up and that sort of boosted the signal. It's not a good way to do it, but that's how I added gain. Until eventually I went and bought a DBX 286S and put it in in between, plug the microphone into that and plug that into my mixer or into my audio interface and I had all the gain I needed. It's best to use only one source of gain though. So if you do have like a dedicated preamp You're going to want to have the preamp on your mixer, digital or standard mixer, turned all the way down. And you're going to want to use the uh, the preamp's gain. You don't want to have two kind of chains of gain if you can avoid it. Especially if you're using the compressor or a compressor. Just keep that in mind. But anyway, yes, unfortunately, that is normal with the PR-40. Now, condenser mics don't have this problem. Condenser mics, they don't need very much gain at all. And that's just because of the way that a condenser mic works. But again, for most human beings who are not recording in sound-proofed studios, sound isolation booths, don't use a condenser mic. Condenser mic has that wonderful, warm, live sound that everybody loves to hear. But they pick up everything. They pick up your next-door neighbor's dog. They pick up your kids in the other room. They pick up road noise. They pick up the sound of the air conditioner or the fan that's blowing. Even that little fan in your computer will get picked up. So that's why I recommend the dynamic mic, because it's only going to pick up what's directly in front of it. The old thing that I always do where I just move a little bit off mic and you can barely hear me, that, that's the benefit of a dynamic mic. you got to have better mic technique for it. But uh, it's, it's definitely worth it. I would like to say thank you very much to Linode. You know, a lot of us talk about great web hosts, people who are developers, people who are deploying their applications. They're writing something in Rails. They're writing something in Python. They're writing something that they want to deploy somewhere. They've got files they want to chuck, up, chuck somewhere, serve them up. Software being built. Where do you go? You go to Linode. All of my infrastructure for 5x5, the web server, the, uh, the, the varnish caching server, everything that we do, the live stream, so when you hook up to the live stream, all of that lives on Linode. They've got eight data centers. You pick the one that's closest to you, pick the one you want to pick. Doesn't matter. I picked the one in Dallas. This is close. But they've got eight. You pick the one you want. And plans start at only 10 bucks a month. You can get a server up and running, one of their VPSs, in under a minute, that's not an exaggeration. I've been a Linode customer since they first started years and years ago, and I love them. They do hourly billing. They got add-on services. You can do backups right there. Node balancers, Longview, all that stuff. And they're getting huge performance increases. They just switched from Zen to KVM, if you know what that means. And that gave them over a 300% performance increase. Full root access for total control. You can run your own private Git server. You can run your own web server and do all the stuff that you ever wanted to do. lino.com slash podcast method supports the show. It's spelled L I N O D E. Lino.com slash podcast method. And use promo code podcast method 20 to get $20 off. So go check it out. $20 credit waiting for you. Podcast method, lino.com slash podcast method. Peter Pope asks a friend and I are thinking of starting a show we have lots of semi-connected ideas but are having a hard time deciding whether to limit the scope what do you think is preferable a broader show that falls into a large category or something more narrow and focused great question Peter if you'd asked me this question a few years ago I would have said a broader show and now I'm thinking maybe a more narrow and focused show I don't know I don't know if I can give you the answer to this because I don't know what your topic is. And I would say it's very topic specific. So, for example, if, uh, if you were going to be talking about like the election here that's going on in, uh, in the United States, I think you could do a show just talking about specific politics and specific election stuff. Like, yes, you could do that show. Should you do a show that's bigger, that's like global politics? I don't know. I don't know if that would be as appealing. Sports is another good comparison. Should you do a show about all of sports, just sports, it's all sports, or should you do a show about the Philadelphia Phillies, or MLB in general, or NFL specific, or certain division of college basketball? Obviously, you're going to be limiting your scope if you pick a very, uh, a very narrow topic. Because only so many people are going to be interested in that one thing. If, if I had amazing knowledge about sports and am, connections with amazing sports guests across all different sports, then I would absolutely do a show about all sports. So it's partially based on what you think you're going to do best to talk about and what the audience is that you're going to serve. Always think, of course, you know, talk about what you want, but always think about the audience that you're trying to serve and trying to reach. And think about your competition. One of my friends recently said, oh, this this, this isn't a competition. He was talking about podcasts and things like that in general. Well, I mean, I think that's a good mindset to have. You know, we're not doing this to compete. We're all in it together. I believe in that 100%. However, you are competing for your listener's time. Your listener has lots and lots and lots of other shows that she or he could listen to instead of yours. So you're competing for their time. If they have two really great shows to listen to, but they only have 20 minutes on their commute, they're going to make a choice. Are they going to pick your show or your competitor's show? So yeah, I mean, it is a competitor. You are competing. So you've got to make sure that you do a great job and that you really serve the audience that you're going for. It's a tough situation, broad or or focused, but it's really going to depend on the audience you're trying to reach and the, how, your knowledge of your topic and how broad your knowledge is of that topic. So I'm sorry, Peter, if I didn't totally answer your question, but doing my best. Christopher Slight asks, any opinion on Cloudlifter? or Fethead-type devices for boosting dynamic mics? This is actually a great question that's related very closely, I think, to the earlier question of, what am I doing? I'm cranking up the gain. What's going on? Why am I doing this? Well, I always recommend the the DBX, because although it's a larger and somewhat bulky device, you get an amazing preamp. You get the compressor. You get the limiter. And you get a whole, it converts it to a whole bunch of outputs to make it easier to plug into different devices. I mean, it's, it's a great thing, but for $150, you could get the cloud lifter. It's the CL one. And what does this thing do? It adds about 25 decibels of gain to your microphone. They recommend it for using with dynamic microphones. It'll also work with ribbon microphones if you're super old-fashioned and have one of those, and they're great. It is really... It uses the phantom power from your, uh, from your preamp. Phantom power is required for condenser mics. It is not used for dynamic mics. And it takes phantom power from your preamp and uses it to boost the signal coming from your dynamic mic, and does not pass the phantom power into your dynamic mic. And also, don't worry about passing phantom power into your dynamic mic. It won't hurt it. It just doesn't do anything. I remember the first time I saw that little phantom button on a mixer, and I was like, <laughs> what is this? But that's what it does. It's, it's used to power condenser mics. In this case, it's used to boost the signal gain by 25 decibels and this thing is just fine it works just fine i know lots of people that use these and that that, uh that report great success with these basically it's 150 dollars and you get an extra 25 decibels of gain you you cannot attenuate that gain you just get an extra 25 decibels you just get that Personally, I don't want to just get 25 decibels. I would rather have a little bit more control. I would rather have one source of gain and not, not boost the gain. But it's fine. The other thing is it's 150 bucks. For another like 40 or $50, bucks, you have got a DBX that you can do so much more with. So yes, you could get one of these. And I think they would be especially useful if you're going for that ultra-minimalist kind of a scenario or if you're looking for something that's borderline portable I think that's fine there's nothing wrong with these things I have not used the Fethead and uh, I've heard of the Fethead but I have not used the Fethead so I don't have very much uh, a, a, a useful opinion about it other than it's a competitor to the cloud lifter it does basically the same thing. You plug your microphone cable into one end of it and you plug the other end of it into your preamp or your audio interface. And I suppose it would work just like the Cloud Lifter. My last sponsor of the day is Squarespace. Squarespace, you know what? Still sponsoring podcasts. These guys are great. They do a great job of making it incredibly easy for you to make a beautiful, professionally designed website with basically no effort and no coding and regardless of your skill level. The most intuitive, easy-to-use tools in the world. You get a free domain if you sign up for a year. They've got everything figured out. You want to put a little map on there that shows people how to get to your, your uh, office, your storefront. You just click the little thing, put a map on there. You want to have every link that you add to your site to Amazon be an affiliate link? Just check the box. You want to do a beautiful image gallery? Just click a thing, drag up some images, done you want to have a beautiful landing page, you can make landing pages. I mean, literally, they have thought of every single thing and they have built a really great feature around it. And they've got great support. If you have run into any trouble, people always like seem to forget about Squarespace. They seem to forget it's there. They think, "Oh, I'm going to go and start this new project and I'm going to go build this thing or I'm going to do a new podcast or I'm going to uh, we're opening up a store or I'm building an iOS app." Or I want to do Android software consulting. Oh, I guess I gotta go build a website. Oh yeah. Oh, that'll take two weeks. Two weeks before I can launch. Two weeks before I can do the thing I'm good at doing. No. You don't that that ain't you. Go to Squarespace. You know that that could be that could be their uh their slogan. That ain't you. Squarespace.com slash podcast method is the URL to go to and the uh the code to use, podcast method one word to get ten percent off your first purchase. It's genius. They're genius, and you will be a genius if you go to squarespace.com slash podcast method and use the code podcast method to get 10% off your first purchase. Thinking FM on Twitter says Is Skype still your preferred way to host shows, or have you tried something like Zencaster? Now, don't get confused between Zencast and Zencaster. These are completely different things. Zencast is like a hosting uh, thing. Zencaster is all about recording and, uh, and, and, and streaming and combining and doing, doing amazing things with the recording process. Now, as you know, I have used and do still use a combination of Skype and sometimes Google Hangouts and other things to record shows where I have a guest. So each week when I record with Merlin or John or whoever, when I'm doing an interview, it's almost always conducted between me and uh, somebody else over Skype. You can just record your Skype call with something like Ecamm Call Recorder. Or you can get a little bit more fancy and you can take an old computer, a Mac or a PC and run Skype on that and plug that into your mixer and send them back a mix minus. That's the preferred way to do it. And when I do it that way, even with multiple Skype guests, it sounds really, really good. Most of the time, what you're hearing when you listen to Back to Work or my other shows, most of the time you're hearing the recording that I've made over Skype. And 99% of the time, it sounds fantastic. Sometimes it doesn't. But there are other solutions. And a Zencaster, which is Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com, also in the show notes, is uh is in my opinion one of the best of them. I had not really used it. I looked at it when it first came out, but I didn't use it. I didn't do much with it until I was a guest on a show. I don't know if I'm allowed to announce it yet, but I was interviewed uh, on a on one of my favorite podcasts, and they said, oh, we use Zencaster. I said, all right, cool. Let's give this thing a shot. And the way that it works is uh, it's they've got ba- basically built-in voice over IP. So you don't use Skype. You just go to Zencaster in a browser. You can use Skype with it, apparently, and call in with Skype or Google Hangouts. But I think the typical way to do it is just to go in with a browser. I had to use Chrome instead of Safari for this, which is fine. And it records each person separately. It uses each person's own local computer to record a high-quality MP3 file. So it's using your mic in front of your computer to record your end. But then it takes your audio and sends it to the other guests or the other people that are recording with you. Then the uh, your, your, your recording and the other guests are automatically dropped into your Dropbox account. You can record a show that's up to three hours long, and I hope you don't and that's it you don't have to wait for like uploads to happen they don't have to go and like do an upload it's all just right there and even if the connection that you have isn't great like the recording's happening essentially on each person's own computer so their end is always going to sound really really good now they have other features apparently that let them uh, let them kind of uh, do some basic post-production on the audio and give you a combined track i don't I have I wouldn't recommend that I would recommend doing the post production yourself, but this is a really neat one, and it's the only one at this point that I feel like I could recommend that people use instead of something like a Skype setup. It's still not in my opinion uh you don't have quite as much control, but it's a really great solution and for some reason right now it's free. I don't know why it's free but Apparently, when they are going to move to a paid solution, that will be 10 or $20 a month. But I like what they've built, and I think it's definitely worth your time to go check out. Michael Klein, who is at Kleinola on Twitter, says, After a year since my last podcast episode, how do I reboot and get over the shame? Michael, there is no shame. And how do you reboot? Well, this is a a great question. Do you reboot the show? Or do you just pick up where you left off and say, hey guys, sorry, we we took a little bit of a break. It's just been a year, but we're back now. I don't really think it matters. I think if you have something interesting to say, just get in front of the mic and start talking. And make it a great show. There's a good chance, though, that those people's podcast clients your listeners podcast clients have given up trying to update your feed so you will have a challenge trying to get those listeners back how do you do it well let's see if our experiment works remember the experiment at the beginning of the show where i said go rate the show and go subscribe in iTunes i'll report back on that in a week if you guys help me out take a minute and and do that just subscribe in iTunes and uh, and rate the show of course it's a five star show of course it's a five star show Go rate it. And maybe, Michael, that'll be the answer for you when you go back, even if you've lost half your listeners. If there's still 50 listeners, maybe that's enough to get you back up there. I don't know. But there's no shame in it. Just go back and start doing it again. You've got something good to say. I'm sure of it. So go there and do it and just do the work. Don't don't feel bad about taking a break. You took a break because you had to, because you wanted to, and now you'll be better for it. A handful of people tweeted me and emailed me uh, to talk about the very, very short length podcast that I talked about in the last episode. Uh, people, A couple of people had asked me originally, what do you think, Dan, of a podcast that's a minute long or under five minutes long? And I said, I think there might be a place for that. But a whole bunch of people replied and said, you know what? Yes, there are a lot of really cool podcasts that are just a minute long or just five minutes long. So, uh, I, I and you've been sending them in. If you know of one that's really cool, send it to me. I would love to hear it. I'm, I'm starting to change my mind about it. Maybe there is a, a real space for a three to five minute long podcast, daily podcast. That's just like a morning message or something like that. I think that might be pretty cool. And my last question today comes from Joseph Baird, who's at Brain of Steel on Twitter. I like that one. Interested in more detail on show notes, how much depth and detail to include and how do you decide what to leave out? This is a wonderful question. Um, A big part of our show notes uh, and what makes, I think, our show notes uh, effective is that we put a lot of detail into them for most of our shows and traditionally, especially for shows that were very, very long and very, very technical, hypercritical comes to mind and uh, back to work still. We spend a lot of time doing it. One of the things that makes it easier is the software that I built and use for Five by Five, which has uh, tremendous improvements in the new in the new Fireside uh, that you'll be able to use. Uh, it is a bookmarklet that lets you uh, that lets you look at you. You'd be looking at a page, and you can click the bookmarklet in your toolbar in uh, in your browser of choice, and it will automatically add that to the show notes for the latest episode, latest draft episode, or it'll even create a draft episode if you don't have one in place, or you can pick the episode that I make that you want to add it to. So some really, you know, that that having that feature allows us to make really, really excellent show notes with lots and lots of links. And I try anytime that we're talking about something on a show, this show or otherwise, if someone mentions something and it's not what I would think to be, you know, common knowledge, or if there's more information there, I will put a link to it. So I was just talking with John Roderick about, uh, we were talking about some 80s movies, Breakfast Club, and we were talking about, you know, Ali Sheedy and some other funny things like that that he brought up. And as he's talking, I'll just say, okay, he mentioned uh, Breakfast Club. So I'll type in Breakfast Club in Google. I'll click the IMDb or the Wikipedia entry, click the little bookmarklet to add it to the show. Now it's in the show notes being able to do something like that. And it's funny because I had been using this kind of a tool for years and years and years. I mean, back in the mid-2000s, I'd written a little PHP app to do this stuff for me. And then you saw the rise of things like Pinboard and uh, and Instapaper and, and the concept of doing this became fairly mainstream. So you can use something, obviously, if you decide to host your show on Fireside, then you'll have it built in, but you can use something like pinboard or insta paper to uh to make these kinds of show notes so you can go to reddit and have your listeners submit things for you and then you can put them into the show notes but joseph's specific question was how much do you put in the show notes what i like to do is i like to put one maybe two paragraphs at the most but generally one paragraph that describes the show and what's going to wind up in the show so that you know pretty quickly What's there? But then also important to have in your description so that it gets picked up by the RSS feed readers and so that it shows up properly in the clients, podcast clients, and on the Apple TV podcast app, things like that. In that description, you want to make sure to have all those links to all of the uh, things that you talk about. And I think put in the important links, you don't have to put in links to every, if somebody mentions... Oh, have you heard about the new thing from Apple? You don't need to put a link to apple.com. People know what Apple is if they're listening to your show. Trust me. But if there's a new device that comes out, well then you probably do want to put a link to that. And that's kind of my uh my my sort of litmus test or barometer for whether I should include it or not. So speaking of devices that Apple has come out with, there's one that I want to tell you guys about if you haven't Heard of it already, and that is the Lightning to USB 3 camera adapter. What is that? They call it a camera adapter, but you don't have to use a camera with it. Uh, It's just a USB port. And this is an adapter that will plug in to an iPad Pro. Either of the two iPad Pros, I believe. But what's neat about this is that the Lightning ports in an iPad Pro can power things. That's how you charge your Apple Pencil. You plug it into your iPad Pro. It, it can output power. That's pretty cool, right? Well, what that means is you can plug in a USB microphone, like a, one of the many, many USB condenser microphones. There, there are some dynamic ones as well. You can plug that in and you could record something with your iPad Pro. Because your iPad Pro will power your microphone. Pretty cool. You can say, well, what if it like drains the power from it instantaneously? Well, Apple thought of that. There is a power port so that you can plug it right in. And not only can you power your microphone, but you can also charge or keep your iPad Pro charged all at the same time with just that one cable. It's pretty cool. And if you've got an iPad Pro and you want to record in this way, for 40 bucks, you can get this Lightning to USB 3 camera adapter. It will be in the show notes. So go check it out. It might be useful for you if that's your setup. And that's it. That's all we've got time for this week. I really appreciate you listening. Again, if you want to ask me questions, ask me on Twitter. Use the hashtag podcast method, one word so that I see it when I do the search before the show. You can also email me. Again, that's 5x5.tv slash contact. Pick podcast method from the little list there and uh, click the link and start typing. And let me know if you don't want me to use your name uh, on the show and I won't. I'll keep you private if that's fine. And do, do me that favor. Let's try that experiment. Go and, and rate the show and subscribe in iTunes. And uh, let's see if that makes any difference. If enough of you do it, think it might make a difference so let's give it a shot thanks everyone for listening see you again soon